Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is the Ocean Protect podcast, talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect, committed to change. Welcome, Larissa Rose, to uh, our little podcast. I guess uh, by by the way of introduction, uh, Larissa is an energetic bunny that I <laughs> met online probably six months ago, and we sort of reached out together, and then life got in the way, and. Next thing you know, I get an email from her saying, hey, let's catch up, let's have a chat. So we did about a week ago and um, and then we thought, great, let's come on the podcast. So um, without me going into it, Larissa, welcome. And yeah, it's good to have you on our show. Thank you. And it's so amazing and dynamic to meet you guys. And I just love the power of social media. How good is it? <laughs> I am totally. froth over it. It is. It's very good. And you were on social media actually yesterday, weren't you? Actually tagging Jeremy and Ocean Protect in a, in a post. Do you want to talk about that? I did indeed. Because I thought, well, how perfect was <laughs> yeah. that whole alignment? So yesterday I was doing a side assessment of a uh, natural habitat uh, a waterway that runs into a creek, into a lake, I should say. And I was doing some transect assessment work on the amount of waste from the overflow from a drain from the road. So built environments and how they impact uh, natural causeways. And we were looking at how do we start mitigating that? And I thought, well, this is the perfect scenario because I'm going to be meeting Brad and Jeremy tomorrow and I need one of those <laughs> I need one of those greats done right now. Give us your one-on-one, where have you come from? You're a Palmy local. Tell our listeners uh, who you are and what you're all about. Yeah, I'm a pretty transparent chick. <laughs> I um, My journey is I went into studies after having my second child and really decided, you know, I'm going to change my career at 29.30. And for me, that was going into environmental studies. Wow. And I progressed through doing all of that work and did my postgraduate. And then I really started to gain a bit of a flavour for the renewable energy side of things. And from that, even again, I got really specific about the role and importance of renewable fuels. So in my master's degree, I was really, really cocky and asked my (laughs) professors, could I just curtail my master's degree, seeing I'm paying so much for it, Mm. to move and progress that into what I really want to study about, which is around renewable fuels and the economic viability, because I knew we are heavily dependent on transport. So I have been tagged and love the cool name of being the queen of biofuels. I'm a mummer of three. I did my amazing journey of a third child in the middle of my master's degree. I'm What? Pre- Hold on, back that up. So <laughs> in the middle of your master's degree, you decided to have your third child? Yeah, I did. Wow. And then I smashed out the last few semesters a Boom. year after I had him. Yeah, like don't stop, just make it happen. No excuses kind of person. I don't like to hear any kind of 
scapegoats, to use, using the French there. <laughs> <laughs> and um, just be straight up, be clear, be dynamic. That's a lot, of, I guess, of where I'm at. And I'm really accountable to understanding the journey of where I'm going as a human, but also the opportunities that we as humans right now have to support and build the leaders of the future. And that is, of course, also my own children as well. It's quite funny you talk about social media and, and, and loving it. Brad and I and, and Ocean Petit really uh, have come about because of social media, plastic and, and, and people worrying about plastic in the ocean. Well, we've been worrying about contaminants going to the ocean for 20 years. Mm. No one really gave a shit. Mm. Uh, now that plastic comes along and, and, and it's the social media drive around straws and turtles and everything has really given us a voice to be able to go, well, where's it all coming from, guys? You know, it's one thing to, for people to understand that we're throwing litter down at the beach or it's coming from fishnets. But as we know, 80% of marine-based pollution is coming from land and, you know, majority of it's coming from stormwater runoff. And we wouldn't have the opportunity to be speaking to people like you, doing what we're doing, um, without social media. You know, it's been yeah. a- Social media's been fantastic to, to create awareness around an issue. Like, media in general, we're far more connected to stories around the world. So when we hear about a, a whale with 40 kilograms of plastic in its belly, in, in the Philippines, for example- Did you hear about that? We hear about that really quickly. No, is this just a new one? No, 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 no. Daryl Blatchley was yeah. one of our- f- one of the, episode number two of the Ocean Project podcast was that <laughs> Daryl Blatchley. We, uh, we, as an example, we heard about this uh, whale washed up on a, a Filipino beach, and and Daryl was the one of the guys interviewed who actually did a necropsy, which is like an autopsy for whales, and basically cut it open and found pulled out of this five point seven meter long juvenile whale, he pulled out forty kilograms of plastic, and we're like, hey, that's a, a really interesting story. Let's. See if we can just get Daryl on the show. I, I messaged him via Facebook. He replied within about two minutes and said, yeah, I'll be on your show tonight. And we were like, okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> our second show. We were yeah. like, what yeah. do we do? And we literally uh, sat, I guess we phoned him up on our little podcast machine and was basically had the most engrossing conversation I think I've ever had for about an hour with Daryl. It was just incredible and it just allowed us to get behind the scenes and get more information and knowledge around this particular issue and obviously Daryl's story. He's done, say, I think we found out he's done like 60 uh, necropsies, 75% of uh, the necropsies he's done, which are of whales, uh, have been dead as a direct result of plastic ingestion. So that sort of, that sort of sharing of information and well, sharing but, of but, knowledge. But, that, but that's exactly yeah. it. It's good for one. So, you know, it's been mm. great to bring, bring it up. But it's also, you know, people become a bit like, oh, the, the problem's too big. And yeah. social media seems to sort of keep going. And, and this is, I guess, what we're trying to do with Larissa and, and do with our podcast is to, to, to talk about these issues so it doesn't seem so hard. But also talk about solutions. I think if we, and this is one of, for my mind, the biggest criticism I've seen about the climate change action around the country in particular is everyone's talking about, we need, Action against climate change. We need to talk about what those actions actually are. Yeah, that pisses me off a bit. Yeah. When anyone's striking all day, it's like, well, what do you want? Yeah, you yeah. know, like you're what? gluing yourself to uh, footpaths in Brisbane. What? But what do you really want? Just tell me a solution. Is it we want to open the discussions around nuclear energy? Do we need to talk about our diet, etc.? This is the thing about the conversation vegan. that we've been having is the fact that just drops we're, we're vegan <laughs> in all the time. It's got we're, vegan shoes on. Boom. These are the most fantastic, vegan style of Fitzroy North plug. Anyway, hashtag, uh, hashtag. Hashtag. But the key thing we're talking about is not just issues, but solutions to these issues as absolutely. well. Absolutely, and I feel absolutely that. Brad, that's the power of working collectively and collaboratively to get things happening down on a grassroots level. Yes, I understand the importance and value of advocating, speaking out loud, lobbying, doing what you need to do. You guys do it. You have to work progressively with regulations and codes to make change. However, 
that actually is a waste of time in some degree as well, for my opinion. That's my personal mm. opinion at times because I have said it many a times at community forums when people are jumping up and on their bandwagon and rattling off the same old stats that they do and do. And I'm like, actually, you don't even actually know the crux that's behind all of this, but what is your solution that you can embed that can start to trigger and create that change? Yeah, and this is the big thing we've been talking about in relation to ocean plastic. You know, we, we did a survey recently across Australia, 1,000 people, uh, all demographics, all locations. We said, okay, plastic pollution is a big problem. But where, what is actually causing this problem? 75% of the Australian population don't know that stormwater runoff is the number one contributing factor but to that, ocean plastic. And that's not Aussie, mate. That's everywhere. That, like, that, that's sorry, we haven't done the study for the whole world, okay. but – you know, 75% sounds pretty much like people don't know what's going on. But that's the whole idea. We share knowledge, create awareness about an issue, but we need to talk about what's the key contributing factor to that problem or issue mm-hmm. and then talk about solutions. Well, okay, segue, well done. Larissa, <laughs> you know, self-proclaimed biofuel queen, tell us about what's going on because transportation and fuel – well, transportation is something that we, we're going to continue to need – Tell us about biofuels, tell us about your passion, tell us about the problem and tell us about the solution. (laughs) Boom. Absolutely. And this is a perfect segue back to where you were saying, where information and knowledge. So Australian has, we all got, every country has an energy matrix and that matrix is breaking up if we break up a pie chart. So we will be heavily dependent on electricity, electrification to drive energy and then the other component to that is source of liquid fossil fuels. Mm. So in Australia, we're heavily dependent on both. It's pretty much nearly a 50-50 sort of ratio. But all we hear is a narrative around renewable energy, renewable electricity, this and this and this. But when people, well, this is a highlighting factor, people don't actually understand that the backbone to Australia running is dependent on liquid fossil fuels and will be for a very long time because of the transportation and the heavy machinery and the vehicles to move freight and goods and services and to get resources around this country country is off heavy transportation, heavy machinery. And when you say liquid fuels, you're talking about petrol? We're going to be talking about petrol. So Uh, when I say liquid fossil fuels, because fossil can be hard, it can be a gas, we're going to talk about liquid fuels that you know and see at the service station. We're talking about diesel, petroleum. I don't because I drive an electric car. He does. <laughs> Jeremy had, does have a Tesla. Yep, I bit yeah, I the bullet. I'm a bit of yeah. a petrol head, to be honest. So I, mm-hmm. I did convert my 1971 Valiant to uh, ethanol at the start of this year so that if anyone sees me driving a V8, I can go like. <laughs> good old-fashioned. Take that. <laughs> yeah. You know, In case thanks. you're wondering, Jeremy did the good old birdie. <laughs> Middle finger. So, yeah. um, okay, so we're talking about liquid fuel, okay, and transportation. You're saying that the government or our economy is reliant on the transportation to keep us going? Sure. So transportation contributes to 14% of the world's GHG emissions. And out of that, just to correlate to the ocean component, shipping equates to about 2 to 3% of that 14% ratio of emissions. What's aviation? Aviation is around that 1 to 2. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so, so, so backtrack, give me that stat again. So 14% of all greenhouse gas emissions, 14% globally is from transportation. transportation. Correct. Yeah, okay, and 2% of that 14% is from shipping. Sea, shipping. Okay. Mm. And transportation, I'd imagine, is only going to increase. Correct. So we're looking at the 90% of goods and services that are moved around the world rely on shipping. Wow. And, and so obviously we're, we're predominantly historically and still currently we're relying heavily on these liquid fossil fuels, so petrol, for example. So what is an alternative? Absolutely. So we have to create an alternative pathway. So how do we decarbonise the transportation sector, specifically the heavy transport sector? Shipping, aviation 
and heavy heavy truck and transport. Mm. So they're the big parts that need decarbonising the most. We understand passenger car fleet has got electrification to support that. Yep. Long distance haul, heavy haul, um, earth moving machinery, aviation and shipping don't have the capacity to go 100% electrification. No. Well, I did see that there was a plane recently, solar-powered plane, and that circumnavigated the world, but um, I think that only only had room for one guy and a bit of lunch. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think it's quite <laughs> ready. You, you know what I mean? But that's a long, long you know, way yeah. away. But mm. I've seen recently on social media there are ships now that are getting solar-powered. Is, is that something that's going to start Absolutely. To so that can happen in uh, what they call a lot of in the European countries where they do a lot of the shipping and moving of transport um, through rivers. So it's great capacity for shipping to be able to have solar power through that but for the longer haul world trade side of moving cargo around the world so we've got wet we've got bulk we've got gas we've got fuel we've got all the different types of heavy cargo and shipping we are heavily reliant and dependent on it so your iphone your sneakers your clothes everything is Jeremy's shipped, hair products shipped Absolutely. Tons and tons. Glass, <laughs> paper, you know, like papers milled, um, sawdust is sent yeah. out of the port of Brisbane, goes to China, Obviously gets put food. into paper and comes back. Well, and, and also plastic waste gets sent from Australia up to China and then sometimes back here. Uh, our uh, minerals get sent up to China and then sent back back in the form of steel. So it, it, it really it's, it's one of those problems that I really didn't think about. Yeah, look, Did it you? is a problem. Yeah, No, look, to be honest, not really. No. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, anyway, okay. So, so how, yeah, so how that, do you decarbonise? Yeah. How do you get that to zero emissions industry well, sectors? Do, don't we need a government to support industry that allows for innovation? Is that what you're saying, Larissa? That's what I heard. Yeah, regulations <laughs> and codes, Come on, ScoMo, I'm coming for you, buddy. <laughs> we so, want some low-carbon fuel policies. But, That's exactly what we well, want. What, what, well, how do we actually physically decarbonise our transport industry? We have to create a transition pathway. So those transition pathways, obviously, for coal-fired electric generation, electricity, we've got alternatives now. We've got wind and solar and we've Mm. seen how over the last 20 years how that's changed progressively. There's no pathway, and this is what really gets me on my ante here, is that the the governments and, and bodies and even humans don't even like really need to have more knowledge on this. There's enabling grants and funding programs and mechanisms in place to support wind and solar to make it more cost effective and help with that price parity of putting projects on the ground. There is nothing that's put in place in Australia, in our country, to help with the transition from moving from heavy liquid fossil fuels across to low carbon sustainable fuels that are made from plants and waste streams. Well, why, why is that though? Why isn't that funding? No, 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 back up. If I can do it for my Valiant, I mean, because what you've got to do for from an engine point of view is you do need to make modifications to the engine to allow it to run on plant-based or ethanol. If I can do it for my Valiant, why can't they do it for b- big ships and... You know, like, what's the big deal here? What is there it? is. There's solutions, Jeremy. There's fuels there that are now are low sure. in sulphur and are made from renewable resources that can help achieve those heavy carbon emitting industries like shipping that has some of the most amount of sulphur burnt in the world. So sulphur oxide is one of the biggest pollutant that comes from the shipping industry because right. it's the most dirtiest fuel that's used in shipping. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So what is the alternative fuel source? Sustainable, renewable diesel. What is sustainable, renewable diesel? So it's a low-carbon diesel alternative. So just to help the audience to understand, because it can get so confusing at the moment between renewable fuels, biofuels, ethanol, biodiesel. 101 of biofuels is, is we have two alternatives for both types of fuel. So for diesel, we have biodiesel. Biodiesel is the plant-based alternative. It's made from fats, tallows, oils, and different types of seed oils. And then for petrol, the alternative, which some of your audience probably may have seen at times, depending on what state we're in, if there's a policy, E10. So E10 is ethanol, 10% ethanol mixed with 90% petroleum. Yeah, yeah but I, I run E85. You do, because you've got the higher quality, cleaner burning, more oxygenated yeah, so fuel. It's, it's only, I can only get it in three locations in Sydney, though. Really? There yeah, yeah. Go. So basically, it's what they use to run the V8 supercars on. Right. It's so, ethanol. It's high, high octane, mate. It makes your pistons go faster and your engine go better. So it's, you're winning. It's great for the environment or better for the environment. And you get more horsepower. Boom. And, and sorry, just to confirm, so have we got a readily available source of these biofuels uh, within Australia and worldwide? Yeah, absolutely. We surely do. We've got three different plants in Australia that produce ethanol from three different renewable sources, one from sorghum, one from sugarcane, and the other one from wheat starch. We also have a couple of biodiesel plants in Australia as well that use tallow, which is rendered fats from animals. You'll love that vegan fuel. We won't have any of that left over in, in 20 years. Or different plants. We could just um, get it out of Jeremy's arteries. That's what I heard. Amongst other things, mate. <laughs> Scrape some gallbladders, shall we? Fine. And then, um, and then so, yeah, we've got a couple of deep biodiesel plants as well that use um, different, like cooking oils, yeah. leftover fish and chips oils. Yeah. That's, you know, there's lots of people that make their own backyard biodiesel all the time. Right. Absolutely, just from collecting. So just get back to the plant-based sources. Most people are familiar with um, sugarcane growth because obviously that's up and down the coast of Queensland, so that's very popular. Wheat starch, what's what's wheat starch? Is that just from wheat waste product of of a wheat sort of crop? Absolutely. You're smart, mate. (laughs) (laughs) You're still there there scratching your head. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Let's get that ag going on here now. Absolutely. So wheat starch, when you obviously have to harvest it and it's it's – compounded down to make flour, there's all the different types of byproducts and the different levels and degrees of starches that yeah. come out of it. So one of those is they that- use starch to ferment. So it's like making alcohol. Ethanol yeah. is, that, as we know, it's alcohol production and they just have a feedstock. So that's another key word for the audience. Feedstock today, everyone's learnt, is yeah. the input is the item that goes in to produce and make it. So you ferment the sorghum, you ferment the molasses, you ferment the wheat starch with sugars to produce and create Ethanol, and alcohol. so and obviously wheat can be grown in all sorts of the locations across Australia. Sorghum is that? I'm guessing that's a reasonably tough plant, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's um, a lot of that. That plant is in Dolby, which is down in um, down in the Darling Downs yep. out region. Yeah, Western Downs, I should say. And there's a bioethanol plant out there. Yeah. So and, and obviously that's a crop that could probably be grown in a lot of different locations if we needed to actually increase the demand or supply of that. Absolutely. Crop. Yep. And then we move into 
crop waste residues. So agricultural um, has a lot of different parts like corn stover, the leaves, the fibre, mm. um, like sugarcane, bagasse. You can use the bagasse now, which we call a second generation biofuel. So technology is advanced f- to be able to get the cellulose and the sugars out of the plant fibres to create those. So you're not actually using that first level or degree of the plant or the seed or the pod. You can actually use the secondary, which is the plant waste, so agricultural crop residues. Is there any other sort of crops that we can actually use to actually as a biofuel source? We can use algae. Algae. Seaweed. Wow. Well, that's really interesting because we need more seaweed. Yeah, there's Um, a lot of talk about using seaweed, for example, to mitigate the impacts of climate change, like and actually suck more CO2 out of the atmosphere, for example. That's on a very large scale. Yeah, that that is. Anyway, just going back to it, so sugarcane is obviously a massive industry here in Australia. Mm. So what what proportion, or do you know this, what proportion of the sugarcane is actually getting used for sustainable fuels here in Australia? Okay, so this could be tricky to calculate depending on how we're hey, trying look, to Hey, we've got disclaimers at the bottom of our um, podcast. Larissa, so, yeah. Larissa said, Larissa our said. biofuels girl said, <laughs> quote, um, so obviously the sugar cane is crushed, you've got the sugar syrup, and then you're going to have the big gas, which is a fibre which has been used to create green electricity for sugar cane, um, for, you know, ethanol production facilities all around the world. Sugar refineries have used big gas as a clean green fuel biomass to create electricity mm. for their plants. But the ratio is – it's a bit tricky because you're obviously using a byproduct out of it. So molasses is used then because there's all different degrees of molasses as well, like the grading of it, like with starch, there's like yeah. three or four different grades of wheat starch. Don't hold me to it, my friend out there who's a wheat starch specialist. So it'd be tricky to kind of work out the calcs on that, but the ratio is more relative to sugar production and the demand for sugar products in the world is a lot more comparative to the small margin that would be used to make ethanol. Yeah, wow. And can I just throw in something random? Yeah, please do. In 1973, the Brazilian president realised that Brazil was going to go under if it did not create its own domestic fuel security, yeah. energy security. Let's just get back to 101 economics, not even an environmental aspect. So there's three triggers that drive a sustainable, renewable fuel program in a country. They either do it socially, environmentally or economically. Predominantly, economics run everything, as we know. So back in 1973, the president decided we cannot keep relying on importing our fuel from Korea and OPEC and being reliant on that. So we're going to create a domestic fuel security situation here and have our own energy matrix, which is more domestic orientated, not 90% predominantly overseas market, which is what Australia is at. ScoMo, can we please fix that? They looked at it and decided we're going to create a biofuel mandate. We're going to make all the fuel in this country have 10% ethanol in it. I'm going to enforce that every petroleum refinery in this country or purchaser or producer of fuels will own an ethanol plant, will take ownership and own an ethanol plant. Plus, I'll make sure there's new rules and regulations that any car that gets imported in this country from here on in will be a flex fuel vehicle. So this is back in the 1970s. Sorry, did you say Argentina? Was it? Brazil. Brazil, Brazil, sorry. So they've been, they've been the most progressive country wow. and early instigators of um, biofuel mandates in the country because it was all purely on making sure they had their own fuel matrix. And that's the thing. We are so heavily dependent on sort of foreign uh, companies mm. or foreign countries supplying our liquid fossil fuel. Well, I've just done a little bit of uh, the Google. Approximately <laughs> 95% of sugar um, produced in Australia is grown in Queensland. 85% of the raw sugar produced in Queensland ex- is exported mm-hmm. and generates $2 billion in export earnings. The majority of Australia's domestic market is supplied by sugar cane grown in New South Wales. It's a big industry. Oh, 
Absolutely. And none, well, we, I don't see we biofuel get, here. No, I mean, it'd but, be minimal. But, but minimal. getting back to Alyssa's point, like in terms of, I guess, if, if we are so heavily dependent currently in Australia on uh, foreign countries supplying us uh, a very necessary or a currently very uh, necessary fuel source, and if those countries have dilemmas and dramas and we can't get that fuel readily to Australia, we're very much crippled, aren't we, as an economy? Oh, well, yeah, perfect. But, perfect it make, but it makes sense. I mean, Brazil, what a smart man. You know, like all of a sudden, 1973, he goes, right, I'm going to change it, and then your cars come in. I mean, why can't we do that here? Well, similar, like Australia is a big big island in a, in a very far away place from uh, key fuel sources. Not far away enough from New Zealand, bro. Remember that. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Uh, I remind it every day. <laughs> but I'm just thinking, like, in terms of – we've got a, one thing Australia does have is a lot of land – and uh, obviously our farmers are very innovative and if they're given plenty of uh, support or su- appropriate support, they'll, they'll go after a sort of new sort of edge in the market. Yeah, well, diversification. Yeah. And that's what Larissa is saying is there's no incentive there for the government. Well, is that what you're saying? There's no incentive there for the government for, for industry to come in and, and, and take that plunge? Is, it, is that really what's happening? No, we don't have incentivised markets for the uptake and use of biofuels in this country, no. And the reason why Brazil succeeded was the president was so staunch and ensured that he wouldn't be at the stranglehold of the big four oil petroleum companies and ensure that they are a part of the program. So overseas, you've got some of those big fours. They actually run and produce biofuels Mm. because they're a part of the market. Absolutely. But over here, there is nothing. There are way too many exemptions in our policies currently. We've only got two policies in Australia that support biofuels to be a part of the fuel blending mix. One is in New South Wales. It's been going for 10 or nearly 12 years now. And we're in Queensland. We've had for one leading up to nearly two and a half, three years now. You can have a policy program, but if there's no regulations in place that dictate and put a big hard stamp on your hand to say, no, enough's enough, you're not getting away with it, mm. policy dissolves. Well, well, you lose confidence, that, that, projects that, don't move forward. That's not unique to no. your industry. It's across mm. all our industries, mm. Brad and I go yeah. into it. Yeah. But, but just going back to it, you know, a lot of people, maybe not on this podcast, but a lot of people out there in the public will be like, what, mate? You know, I'm an Aussie. I'm allowed to drive around in my V8, get stuffed. You know, like there, it's a big culture thing here. Like there's more V8s than there are bloody kangaroos in Australia, I find. But you know, you know what I mean? It is a cultural thing. Potential generalisation. You, okay. know, you notice how Jeremy, whenever he puts on an Australian accent, he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah Australian, like, mate. Australian. <laughs> yeah, it's true, it's true. Yeah. Well, that's what you sound <laughs> like, mate. <laughs> you're, you're a vegan, you're a vegan Australian. <laughs> no, no, but do you know what I mean? Like it, it is a cultural shift. I mean, it's like, uh, the whole climate change thing, you know, like, but people in Australia are denying it. I mean, I mean, that's getting, becoming less and less, but it's, what do you mean you're going to take away my fuel? What do you mean I'm going to have to run it on biofuel? <laughs> Guess what? There won't be any because Australia imports 95% of its fuel from overseas markets, yeah. Korea and Russia. It's got to go through to Singapore. Then it's got to get refined there. And then it goes through two different shipping lane pathways to reach Australia. And we have 22 days worth of petrol left in this country, 17 days worth of diesel, and probably anywhere from 10 to 15 of jet fuel. What? So you won't have any fuel for your V8, mate, because we've got stupid policy programs and we have no not forecast for us to make sure our energy matrix is secured and we've got a domestic capacity to support the dependency on how we can transition away from being heavily reliant on liquid fossil fuels. Brad, I think we've met our uh, match in passion <laughs> for uh, an individual product here. Because Lewis is getting angry. No, no, no. But I just go, go back to it. So 21 days, if the ships stopped coming here, we'd run out of fuel. 
do you want me to tell you? Yep. And you know what? They're all foreign-owned vessels and we don't own any of so our we, we, So fuel. when you're talking about security, we don't have any Aussie Aussie vessels going out there and getting to fuel. To get the fuel. So purely from a national security perspective, how does that happen and then be allowed to continue to occur? geopolitical issue too. Well, the International Energy Agency has mandates in place that countries should have at least 90 days of fuel in their own country. Every own government should be enforcing that themselves. That's just protecting yourself, is it not? And that's reducing vulnerability. And, you know, if you're Brazil and you've got, you know, 85,000 ethanol and biodiesel plants going, well, if all this fails, everyone's going to use 100% biodiesel if there's no, you know, fossil fuel version. But we don't have that. So we're so susceptible to any kind of attack some to some degree. And if any of those shipping lane terminals stop and the tap's turned off and Singapore goes, no, 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 we're actually we're not letting those vehicles go, vessels go down to you now because China owns those vessels and they've demanded that they want that fuel to go to them. We're absolutely screwed in this country. Wow. So there goes mining. It's sort of a bit to take in because it's such a yeah. big problem. But then if you take it down to pumping gas at the station, like individual mums and dads out there, they, you know, are they aware that they've only got 21 days? I mean, if, 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 if presidents go a bit mental overseas and all of a sudden, as Larissa said, you know, we're isolated here, it's just a complete breakdown. I mean, mining, yeah. as you say, gone. I mean, me, I'll be fine in my electric car, but you, you won't be able to go anywhere. You won't, you won't be able to take your dogs for oh, a walk. We'd better rob a bike. No, and, <laughs> and with everyday consumer will only have two to three days worth of fuel, Jeremy. Oh. So it's even more minimal. So whatever you've got in your fuel tank, that's it. And so there's no bread or I've milk. Got more than you. There's no, there's no <laughs> bread or milk at the corner store anymore. So the backbone of Australia to move goods and services, we have heavy trucks transport to move it. Mm. So no, we're not going to be able to get the bread and milk and, um, Grocery stores getting their products. I didn't say their names. Uh, across <laughs> I know the Nullabor. We do. Woolworths and Coles. Woolworths, <laughs> Coles. You two. <laughs> uh, across the Nullarbor Desert. Like, how's yeah. that going to go for you? Yeah, I mean, that's. Poorly. And all the discussions I've heard about climate change and all the strikes and all Have the you heard about this? I've never heard biofuel mentioned. I've never heard any discussion about transitioning our uh, shipping and trucking and transportation industries to a renewable uh, liquid fossil fuel. Just hasn't been talked about. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. Episodes are released weekly and the next episode will feature part two of this chat. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.